you want to take a seat or kneel or <laughs> something. Woo! Um, if you're a college student and would like to serve your church family, there are plenty of seats right here on the floor up front. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's two up front up here. One next to these folks right here. Oh, my. Skyler. All right. Good morning, City Light Church. Okay, there's like a thousand people squished in like sardines. Good morning, City Light Church. Yes, my name is Mo. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I want to say hello and welcome to all of the college students in the room. Can you, if you're a college student, can you put your hand up and say amen? amen? Yes, hallelujah. We're praising Jesus that you guys are here. If you're a new college student, man, I want to say welcome especially. We're so glad that you're here as well. Uh, part of the mission and vision of City Light Lincoln here in Central is that we want to be a family for those in and around our community, around the building, but also uh, college students. So, man, we're so thankful that you're in the room. Uh, a lot of you actually were here last week uh, at our baptism celebration, right? Like, what an incredible time. That was super fun. I mean, we got to celebrate that King Jesus uh, has saved over 30 people. So we had over 30 baptisms last week, people who Jesus stepped into their life and rescued them from Satan, sin, and death. But I think one of the things that I've been celebrating all week is you. I've been celebrating you, my family, because... Man, you guys worshipped literally in a storm. Like there was rain coming down constantly. There was sprinkling, all, I mean, all different kinds. And you're still praising Jesus the entire time. The pictures were amazing. Um, and, but uh, I remember getting a text uh, last week from a friend after all the Facebook had kind of gone out. The pictures had went out. Uh, bro, there's two seats right up here. Come on. Uh, you got it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but after it all went out, I got a text message from a friend. He was like, man, you have a crazy Jesus-loving family. And I was like, you got that. I do. They're insane, and I love it. And so I want to say to you guys, man, I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. There's about seven or 800 of us worshiping Jesus, worshiping and praising him for what he's doing in and through our little church, which is not so small anymore. Anyway, um, but this morning, our hope is that you will not get wet unless someone spills coffee on you. I'm sorry, uh, but we will be uh, in the Bible. So that's helpful. So if you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter four. Uh, that's where we're going to be at this morning. If you don't have a Bible on your way out, there's a bookshelf with nice, really beautiful paperback Bibles. Take that. It's a gift from us. They're beautiful blue. Um, but we'll be in Acts chapter four. Uh, so as a church family, um, we typically walk through a book of the Bible. So we'll start out in chapter one and work our way all the way through that book of the Bible. And that's intentional. Like we want to do that because, well, God's word speaks for itself. But then also um, it keeps us accountable to say what Jesus would say and not say what we want to say. And then also as a family, we learn to read and study our Bibles. And so that's why we typically do that. However, once or twice a year, we usually take a pause and say, hey, let's have a family talk. Let's talk about why we're a family, how, how we're formed as a family, but most importantly, our core values, our traits as a family, what makes us distinct as a family. So City Light Church has four core values. They're down, they're directional arrows, down, up, in, and out. Those very simple, if you know your directions, up and down, in and out, it's pretty simple, right? So down is the gospel, simply put. Like Jesus came down and, and saved us, and so that, that makes sense, right? God pursues us in salvation by sending his son down. And then there's up, 
which is formation. It's got the process by which God is forming and shaping us to be more like Jesus. And then there's in, which is a family. That's what we are. We are a family. So God came and, and made us a family. So he, God is our father and we are brothers and sisters. And so we are definitely a family. And then that family has a mission. So that's out. Out is our, our family on mission. Uh, we're not called to a, a holy huddle or just a group of Christians to gather together, but we're actually called to go out into the world proclaiming, proclaiming the good news that came to us first, uh, to our coworkers, our friends, our classmates, and to the ends of the earth. So that, those are our core values, down, up, in, and out. And, and today we're going to cover down and up, okay? Down and up. But before we jump in, how many of you love the rags to riches stories? Like, you know, where you got the person who's in the low of lows and they're being brought up by a person who kind of guides them and leads them to success. We, we love those movies, right? Those are good movies. They're all over Hollywood. I looked it up online. There's like thousands of them everywhere. Like you think about Cinderella, right? She, she falls in love with the prince. The prince falls in love with her. So she goes from uh, being basically a stepchild to being in the royal family. You got Aladdin, which is one of my personal favorites. Love that dude. Uh, he met Jasmine and Jasmine fell in love with him. And so he became, went from being a thief uh, to being a part of that royal family as well. And then who could ever forget Pretty Woman, right? Like you got Julia Roberts, she meets Richard Gere. It's a beautiful thing. Dude runs up to Terrace at the end of the movie. Sorry if you've never seen it, it's been out for a while. Um, <laughs> runs up to Terrace, they fall in love and happily ever after. She was in rags to uh, riches. She was a prostitute and then he was a wealthy single man and, and, and he came in and, and so rescued her, so to speak. Uh, but these stories have a theme in common, right? They have this, this common thread that we all love. And, and it's the fact that this person, if you were to look at their future, it, it was kind of hopeless, right? And then someone stepped in and decided to come with them uh, in that and, and, and to go before them and, and bring them out of the space that was hopeless, and so the person in our story is no different than Aladdin or Julia Roberts, where he, uh, he comes out in the story, bold, standing, proclaiming the good news. And then the, but the hero of that story ultimately is the one who comes in and goes before him and then comes alongside him, goes with him as well. And so the Aladdin or the Julia Roberts of our story is Peter. Peter is one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture because Peter is messy, right? Like he messes up all the time and yet God still uses this guy. He's a knucklehead quite like myself and yet God still continues to lavish him in love and invest in this guy. And so when we look at Peter, know that he is a rags to riches story. Um, and so let's pick it up in verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the, of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word and believed, and the number of the men came about 5,000. And so, so, so um, the first core value that we're going to see in our text is down. Uh, Jesus goes before us. Down, Jesus goes before us. So, so Peter just found himself in some pr trouble, right? Like he just found himself in, a, in an awkward predicament. He ran into some religious guys and they're like, you already got three strikes against you, bro. Like the, the first thing that he had against him is the fact that uh, the same guys that are arresting him arrested Jesus some days before that. And, and he's proclaiming about that same Jesus. That's a problem. Strike two was the fact that these guys didn't believe in the resurrection. They definitely didn't believe that Jesus truly resurrected from the dead. And that's all they're proclaiming is this resurrection. And then you have the third strike, which you got to mention, in the fact that the apostles and Peter and John specifically, they had started to gain a, quite a following, right? They were some popular dudes because they were proclaiming this Jesus. And it says in Acts 2 that Jesus saved 
3,000 people when Peter preached the gospel, which is a beautiful thing. And then in our text just now, it said 5,000 men came to faith. Well, just to kind of give perspective of that, so typically during that time, they only counted the heads of households. So when it says 5,000 men, that means there's probably 10 or 15,000 people placing their faith in Jesus, getting saved from their sin, surrendering their life to him. And that's just like an instant megachurch, right? Like, like this room, but bigger. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it's just this beautiful thing that God was doing. And so these guys, they were in trouble. Peter faced the very first persecution since Jesus' resurrection. And, and I think when we look at this, sometimes we, we lose sight, I think, in our Christian faith that, man, once we place our faith in Jesus, everything's going to be amazing and easy. And I'll affirm the amazing part. It is amazing to work with the, walk with the living God. However, easy is not a part of that. It's not always easy. And sometimes we kind of cultivate this pseudo-prosperity gospel, meaning I give my life over to Jesus, and all of a sudden, physically, uh, mentally, spiritually, everything is amazing, great. I prosper financially. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at your Bible, if you look at any experience of a person who's been a Christian for a while, you know that's not the case. You know that like there is some difficulty. Even Paul, when he's talking to his mentee, Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy uh, 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It says all. And when you see the all in that Bible, that means all. That means everybody, okay? Like, that's what that's saying. So, so, so some of you are like, man, I thought City Light was this fun church, and now he's talking about persecution. He's really killing the vibe right now. Look, it's true, right? Like, listen, to follow Jesus, yes, is a truly fulfilling life. However, it is not an easy one. The Bible will proclaim that. Experience will proclaim that. So it's like just a hashtag, sorry, not sorry. It's just part of it. Trials will take place. But let's see. What happens to Peter and John once this starts to come about? Let's look at verses 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, let it be known to all of you and all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well." This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And, and so what we see is that they were putting Peter on trial. And in response to that, Peter put them on trial, right? Like rather than defending himself, he said, hold up, the Jesus you crucified, I'm putting you on trial. I'm putting you on trial for that. And, and so the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. He also has another book called Luke. It's kind of self-promoting, but it happened, okay? Uh, it's called Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and, and this is to draw our attention to this. In Luke 22 is, is where we see Peter uh, in a similar, Jesus in a similar situation to Peter where he's being arrested, and so the same guys who arrested Peter arrested Jesus. So what do you think Peter's thinking at this moment? They're going to kill me, right? Like this, if, if the same thing is happening, he's repeating history at this point, but, but, here, but there's a difference between his response in Luke 22 and his response right here in Acts, uh, Acts 4. Let me show you real quick. Luke 22. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter, he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. 
And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And so if you look at Peter's story, he's at the lowest point of his entire life. He just denied God three times in front of people in Jesus's most dire moment of his life. He was asked three times and he said, no, 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 to the one that loved him, the one that walked with him for three and a half years and the one that would ultimately die for him. But, but here in Acts, Peter's not denying Jesus, is he? In fact, he's, he's facing death right now, and he's still not denying Jesus. So, so why? Why now? Why would Peter all of a sudden be willing to die for confessing Jesus? Why would he essentially ask to be killed? Because that's what you're doing when you're on trial like that, and somebody else just died days ago for the same thing. Like, you're asking to die. Why not just deny Jesus again like he did before? Well, let's look at verse 12. And there is a salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why. Peter knows that Jesus is his Savior and there's no other way. Peter recognizes in this moment that Jesus is his Savior. Peter recognizes that Jesus is Peter's Richard Gere, okay? Can I say that? Is that all right? Uh, anyway, so, so, so essentially, I mean, what you're looking at, what you have is, is, is Julia Roberts, Richard Gere. She was prostitute and poor. He brought her and made her rich. Peter was spiritually poor, and Jesus brought him into his family, came before him, and made him rich spiritually with him. And, the, and that's not even the most beautiful part. The most beautiful part of the, the pretty woman story with Julia Roberts is the fact that Richard Gere looked at her as a, as a person, and he loved her deeply. Like, he saw value in her. And so for Peter, he went from being a sinner to a saint. He went from being lost to being found. And so he, he actually found his value in Jesus. So Peter was all of a sudden down for Jesus because Jesus came down for him. Peter is living the ultimate rags to riches story, right? Like Peter was a denier of Jesus. Now he's a proclaimer of Jesus. He was a, a fisherman and now he's a fisher of men. And, and Peter once was lost and now he's found. He was once dead and now he's alive. And guess what? That's our story too. That's our story too. You, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are the ultimate rags to riches story. You have sinned against the holy God. That's your rags. And that holy God came and saved you. He came down and came before you. And that's your riches. All of us are born in the room, born with sin against a holy God. We have rags to go on and on forever. And we're, we're far off from God. We are deniers of God by nature. But Jesus stepped in. He came down and took the punishment that you and I deserve and raised from the grave. That is the core value down. That God himself pursued us, came for us, came down to us so that we might have a relationship with him. And the crazy thing about it, one of the primary arguments against Christianity is the exclusivity of this claim, that Jesus is the only way. And, and I get it, right? Like, like this, it doesn't seem, sound fair at first glance because we're thinking, man, what about my grandma? She gave me $20 consistently on my birthday. She's never spoken a nasty word about anybody. Like, why would, because she didn't believe in Jesus, why would this happen to her? It's not fair. It's not fair to punish someone who doesn't deserve it, who is innocent. And I agree with you. It's not fair to punish someone that's innocent. Romans 3.23 clearly states that we all fall short of God's standard. 
We have all sinned against the holy God. And so your sweet grandma, your best friend, your favorite teacher, they've sinned. And all of us are guilty of that sin. And so if you want fairness, it actually doesn't mean that everybody gets to go to heaven. That's not fairness. No, fairness would be that none of us get to go and we all go to hell. That's fairness. That's what we all deserve. But yet Jesus would love us so much that he would come and he said, I'll take your punishment. I'll take your sin. I'll put it on myself and I'll give you my life. And that's not fair. That's grace. That's beauty. That's, that's love. That's, that's what we've been given. So the only way to not get the punishment that you and I deserve is by trusting, having faith in the person who did take the punishment that you and I deserve. He's the only way. He is, there's no one else but Jesus that can save us from our sin. Our church is committed to preaching this week after week after week and committed to having this be infiltrated in every aspect of this family. We want the gospel to be primary. That is down, right? Peter's willing to risk his entire life for the reality that Jesus really did die for his sins, that Jesus really is who he says he is. And if, and if Peter's right, if, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then there is no other way for you to be saved. Not your works, not your behavior, not your pedigree, not your political affiliation. But the good news of the gospel is that the one way to salvation, one way to relationship with Jesus is the fact that he came down and died for you. That's what saves us. That's what he's offering. You see, Jesus went before Peter and also went before us. And, and, and Jesus took our punishment, our persecution that we deserve with such a beautiful reality. We have to ask a question, right? And we have to ask a question, okay, that's great, good, got it. But what's next? What else? Like, what, what, what do we do after that? Because that is our very first and primary core value, down, right? Like, it's, it's, it, it should not ever be assumed that Jesus is our primary core value, but everything after that is a response to that. And so that's, that's what we see with the rest of our core values. We see responses to down. Uh, let's pick it up in that last verse, 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And catch this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so the, the second core value, which again is a response to down, is up. Uh, the Holy Spirit goes with us. So did you pick up on something with that? So what just happened is the, the religious leaders, rulers that were arresting Peter and John looked at Peter and John and saw something different. In fact, they saw something so different that they said, man, those guys have been with Jesus. They have been with Jesus. But catch this. They didn't know who was empowering them or who was with them in the process. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was empowering these men. So when, but when these religious leaders looked at them, they saw Jesus in them. Uh, they noticed something about Peter and, and, and John that resembled this Jesus. This, this is a key part of our text this morning. What, what did they notice about Peter and John that stood out so much to say, man, these guys have clearly been with Jesus? Well, here's what I don't think it is. I don't think it is because they were really super nice guys. I just don't. Like, I think we, we mistake Christianity as if, man, the way we show Jesus' love is we're going to be really, really nice people who behave well. Right? Here's the problem. There are lots of people in the world who are really, really nice, who behave really, really well, especially better than me, um, that don't have Jesus. Like, it, the, we don't need Jesus to be nice people and behave well. And so there's got to be something more than that. In order for us to be like Jesus and for people to recognize that we're like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus. 
it's not niceness, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship. And so we have to realize that we, can't, we have to be around Jesus to be more like him and for people to recognize him. So if you know Jesus, then people should know and see that you have been with him. So, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we be people who have been with Jesus? Well, I have good news. Uh, there's, there's some primary ways that that begins, right? So you don't primarily become more like Jesus by knowing a bunch of information about him. No, the primary way is that you must be around him so that you might take on his character and attributes. And so there's a process that God has given us that we can, we can start to move in that direction. And, and so here's the, here's the first one in that process. The first one is he sent his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus is on his way to the cross and he tells his disciples, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit might come. So he's like, you're not going to do this alone. I am going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit. And look at verse 8. Verse 8 simply put says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So his boldness, his gumption that he brought into this, what comes from the Spirit of God. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is, is that Peter put down his will and took up God's will. He took up Jesus' will for his life. He surrendered his heart, his soul over and said, God, you take control. Jesus, take the will, right? Like, anyway, uh, so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, convicting you of your sin, challenging you, reminding you of God's love and grace, and, and empowering you to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus. The second one is God's word. God sent his word. John 1 says that Jesus is the word. And so here's what that means. If you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to be with Jesus, then look no further than the living and active word of God. See, like, there is no separation. If we're to be a people who have been with Jesus, then we must be a people who have been in the word. You you want to hear from Jesus? Then learn to read and love your Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life, learn to love and read your Bible. If you want to be like Jesus, grow in your walk with Jesus, learn to love and read your Bible. Being a follower of Jesus who doesn't take time to read God's word is void of an actual relationship with him. And as we read our Bibles, it's not simply reading a book. No, it is a living, breathing word. And as the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with him in that time period, you are actually meeting in the presence of God and the Spirit is shepherding your heart so that you might actually hear from the living God. That's what that is. It's not just reading a book. It's, it's, it's hearing from God. The third thing he's given us is prayer. We can talk to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We can talk to God. Not only can we hear from God through his word, but we can also talk to him. Prayer is a powerful, amazing thing, and I've, I've seen it do incredible things. So let me, let me give you an example. City Light Church, right? Like we've been here for about two minutes, and all of a sudden we got over a thousand people in our church, and that's not just in this room. But like it, we would not exist if it weren't for folks on their knees pleading with Jesus to start a story of a family that would take his gospel into places that it's not proclaimed or known. It doesn't happen. We don't exist here now without being on the backs of those who have been on their knees praying. It just doesn't happen. And then God desires us to come to him because he's a father. Like God is a father. He wants you as his child to depend on him, to need him. And one of the primary ways that we display our dependence, our desperate need for him is through prayer. 
Uh, an author named E.M. Bounds puts it this way in, in, in reference to our need. He said, prayer fills man's emptiness with God's fullness. It fills man's poverty with God's riches. It puts away man's weakness with God's strength. It, it banishes man's littleness with God's greatness. Prayer is God's plan to supply man's great and continuous need with God's great and continuous abundance. If you want more of Jesus, prayer is the way to do that. The fourth one is the gathering of the church. So if you're, if you're at City Life for any length of time, you, you're going to pick up that we have some very intentional language when it comes to this place. It, when we come here, we don't call it a service, we call it a gathering. That's on purpose because it's not a place where you just show up to an event on a Sunday morning and check out. No, this is a family who gathers to worship, praise, celebrate Jesus and everything that he's doing. And we get to serve one another in the midst of that. This is a family that is gathered. It's not a service where you just come to consume. We get to gather as a family to serve our king and serve one another. And so can I have one shameless plug? There might be two. But one shameless plug, okay, just to start with. Um, can I just call you as a family into that? Like if City Light is your home, this is your family, can I call you into signing on the back of your card saying, yes, I will serve my family by handing somebody coffee, by giving someone a handshake, on, by smiling. There's so many opportunities to serve one another. And I want to call us as a family to serve because the more of us that invest all in, the more we can actually accomplish for the kingdom. Amen? Shameless plug. So we're not an organization to affiliate with. We are a family to belong to. Um, and finally, we scatter. We're a scattered family. So, so God has not only provided this beautiful family reunion once a week, but he also uh, has given us this opportunity to have familial community, like true community. I had a young lady come for the first time in my city group a couple weeks ago. And when she came in, like, it's just pure chaos. You got kids running around eating cake and throwing it on each other and you got adults trying to wrangle them up and stuff like that and and they're yelling and screaming and you got the cars driving it, it's it's nuts okay it's a fun city we got like 25 people in my house and just pack it in uh, along with kids uh, but she comes and at the end of it she kind of sticks around for a minute and, and she comes to talk to me and here's what she says she says you know i came in expecting just kind of a bible study and what i experienced was a family get together and i felt like i was a part of that family like, that's, that's why we do city groups. These, these aren't optional Bible studies that you can attend every now and then. No, the, we believe this is the primary means that you might be connected to this family that exemplifies and walks with Jesus. So, so here, simply put, second shameless plug, get in one, right? Don't, don't wait for yourself to clean up because guess what? Everyone in every city group is messy and in desperate need of Jesus. The beautiful thing about that is that you don't have to do it by yourself. He has given you a community of people to bond with, to study his word with, to, to walk with and be with Jesus with them. If you look at Peter in this scenario here, he's not alone. He's got John with him. Jesus was never alone. Jesus had Peter, James, and John, and then 11 other, or not 11, sorry, bad math, nine other dudes that walked with him, right? <laughs> so anyway, Sunday mornings aren't a sufficient means for you to truly grow in Jesus. Sunday mornings is just not enough. Okay. So everyone, in, so for those in the room that are type A personality or just really love lists, this is not a to-do list. This is not a to-do list. This is, this, is the primary, this is the primary in the process, the primary way in the process by which we meet and cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so the, these things aren't essential to salvation, okay? Which means that you can do all of these things perfectly and still not be saved. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, okay? So that but they are integral ways by which God has given us in order for us to grow and be with Jesus. 
So yes, as your pastor, I want to plead with you. I want to say, yes, don't compromise on these things. And the reason why is because my desire for you is for you to grow in a deep, passionate, fulfilling, exciting relationship with Jesus. And these are primary ways that you can do that. This is the process by which we get to be with Jesus. And know this, this is not something that I just pulled out of this one text. If you look at the entirety of the book of Acts, if you look at the entire New Testament and the Old Testament, the entirety of the Bible, these principles are all there pointing us to Jesus and how we can cultivate a deeper relationship with him, to be with him. So let's recap them real quick. Holy Spirit lives in you. Give him control. Be in the book. Learn to read and love your Bible. It's so important. Pray. Talk to God. He wants to hear from you. Um, Faithfully gather and serve the family of God, and then find a city group. Get in a familial community now. I'm telling you guys, Christianity is very, very simple. We make it super complex because we go pursuing all these other things instead of pursuing Jesus when he's like, look, this is easy. Right here, I give you a family, I give you myself, I give you my word. You can come to me and you can experience me. And so, so, so that was the process. So you have to ask the question, what, well, what does that produce? Well, the first thing that, that it produced, being with Jesus, produces a deep, passionate love for Jesus. Like the more you're around him, the more you fall in love with him. So, so yes, spending time with him does produce obedience. It does produce uh, us behaving a different way at times. But God's primary motive behind that is not your behavior modification. It's not for you to begrudgingly obey him. But it's for you to have a deep, fulfilling, passionate love and relationship with Jesus. That your heart might be centered. Your emotions might be centered. Your affections might be centered on him. And so as we spend time with Jesus, we grow in our affections for him. And so, so why? Well, because he first loved us. We start to understand how deeply he loves us. I mean, the, he gave his life for us and didn't just leave it there. He said, no, I will be with you. I'm going to send my spirit. So is this something that you see being produced in your life, a love for Jesus? Are, are, you, are your affections, your delights growing toward Jesus? The second thing that uh, being with Jesus produces in us is that we become more like Jesus. Uh, Romans 8.29 says that we are predestined, uh, he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of the Son, the image of Jesus. And so this this is what God wants for us. He wants for us to be more like his son Jesus, and and that's the same thing that you have with Peter and John. That's what they saw. They saw these men becoming more like Jesus. And so being a Christian is not simply praying a prayer at one time or just believing a list of facts. No, it is a deep, intimate, pursuing relationship with Jesus. We will progressively become more knowledgeable of Jesus. We will follow him more. We become more passionate and obey him more as we pursue a relationship with him. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He said, a notable heresy has come into being throughout our Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as a savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. So, so frankly, is, is being with Jesus producing Jesus' character in you? Is, is the desire in your hearts cultivating a desire to obey Jesus? I mean, just asking yourself, are you becoming more like him? Uh, like, are we, are we laying our will down and picking his up? And doing it, hold up, doing that, by the way, isn't this thing because you're amazing or because all of a sudden you just, you're just trying really hard to be good. No, we do this 
because he's producing it in us. We can't do it on our own. That's why we have to be with him. John 15, 5 says it so clearly. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking to his disciples. You can't do nothing apart from me. So as you pursue Jesus, your love for him will grow, and then you'll become more like him as a byproduct. So what does is, what is becoming more like Jesus look like? Well, Jesus produces a passionate love for others. You see, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, so if God loves people, well, guess what? God's people love people. It's just going to be a part of who we are. If we're becoming more like Jesus, we will grow in our affections toward people. And, 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 and here's the thing. We do this because he first loved us, and so therefore we love others. So he first served us, so therefore we serve others. He first forgave us, and therefore we forgive others. And becoming more like Jesus produces another thing. It produces a bold gospel proclamation. You see, when you look at John and Peter uh, here in the book of Acts, in Acts 4 specifically, it says that they are boldly telling folks about Jesus. They're boldly proclaiming this gospel, even though it means they might be killed. You see, they, they did this because they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit gave them this power because they gave their lives over and they were filled with them. And so the same Holy Spirit that filled them then is filling us now. And I think sometimes what happens, though, we look at that text and look at these guys and say, well, they had this extra special filling of the Holy Spirit at that time, as if, like, we got some sort of JV version, like we did the, we did the phone upgrade system, and they got the iPhone X++, and we got a flip phone somehow. Like, that's not the case. Like, we have the Holy Spirit empowering us in us. The one that raised Christ from the dead is the Spirit of God that lives in us. We can boldly proclaim the gospel with great confidence because he would empower us to do so, because he calls us and empowers us into a lost world to proclaim the one true gospel, the one way that they can have hope and salvation. Last, becoming more like Jesus leads to generosity. You see, Peter's going around telling people how generous God is, right? Like he's telling them that Jesus would come and die, give everything over for our benefit. And so if we see that Jesus is generous to us, why wouldn't we be generous to him? The gospel permeates through us as we are with Jesus, what happens is we start to open our hands to every aspect of our life. So that means our time, our talent, and yes, the hardest one of all, our finances. We see his kingdom as more valuable than our own. We see his gospel as more important than our, our own uh, comfortability. And so, so all of this is produced by being with Jesus, that we would become more like our Savior by listening to him through his word, by praying, by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by being in community. This allows us to be with Jesus. And all of that is a response to the gospel. It is all a response to down. This is not something that we do, but that's something that we respond to. So, so, so why do we do this? We do this because it's, it's been done for us. Listen to this. Down is something Jesus has done for us. Up is what he does with us. Down is something Jesus has done for us. Up is what he has done, is doing with us. So, so if you aren't responding in obedience to the gospel, it probably means that it hasn't taken much root into your heart. The, the, the better we understand, the better we're uh, understanding the gospel, the more we're with Jesus, the more we understand down, the more up should be happening. The more we'll be more and more like Jesus. That's down, that's up. Down is the gospel, that's what God does. And up is what he does in our hearts as he's forming and shaping us to be more like his son. So, so we don't preach these core values simply just so you can, okay, cool, gotcha. I understand what we're supposed to be. Like, that, that's not why. Like, honestly, like, my heart as a pastor is I don't want to just be a big crowd. 
I don't. Like we preach these core values because we want the gospel to permeate our hearts so that we might be a healthy family. It's not just to grab a crowd. Like that, that's, we want to be a family, like a, a Christ-centered family because that is where health comes in. Is that when we revolve our entire life, our entire family around the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what would it look like, right? What would it look like if we were people that had been with Jesus? Well, well we'd be captured by him, right? Like our, our intimacy, our hearts, our passion would be to be with Jesus and one another. And, and I think we would become a people that are striving to know him more and more and more. And I think just maybe we become a people that starts loving our city well. We might start loving our neighbors more, our classmates more. We might start to proclaim that same gospel boldly because we love them so much. And I think we would see an amazing change across our city, our state, and across the world. I think it would mean that we'd be a people who look like Jesus, act like Jesus, and have been with Jesus. Let's pray.